coming up on the Travis Makes Friends podcast. So when we get a body, okay, but, but how are you getting a body? If you're able to learn anatomy just as a baseline, it's almost like learning a language. You yeah. know how like if you learn second language, it's easier to learn the third, the fourth, the fifth. Yeah. You learn anatomy, you speak the language of the body and it becomes immensely easier. The only thing I know about these body donors is their age and what they pass from. I don't know any of their medical history. Oh, so I've kind of called it Sherlock Holmesing. When you're working with the dead, you can't help but reflect on life. Hmm. And that's in all aspects. So I am constantly confronted with my own mortality. And that is on the forefront of my mind. Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends, if you're doing it the right way anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Travis Makes Friends podcast. Today, I'm making friends with Justin Cottle from the Institute of Human Anatomy. And today we're gonna to be talking all things human body. Their YouTube channel has almost 7 million subscribers because they're famous for just showing you cadavers uh, and uh, showing you different things about how the body reacts to certain topics like alcohol and smoking and uh, exercise and how to build muscle, but through the lens of actually physically showing you a human body that's like decomposing in front of them. So there's this really cool visual aspects led to almost 7 million subscribers on YouTube. Um, and uh, yeah, they're adding a ton of value in the world of health, fitness, nutrition, uh, just trying to educate people around that space. So I thought this would be an interesting conversation. Justin, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Yes, sir. So uh, let's let's rewind the clock, man. Let's rewind the clock. I want to dig into your past here before we talk about some more like practical topics, which I definitely want to talk about. Yeah, sure. Um, let's say, uh, you know, seven, eight-year-old Justin, you know, what, what do you what, set the scene? Where, where are you? What are you doing? What are your parents doing? So seven, eight-year-old Justin, I am living in Salt Lake City, Utah. So born and raised. Um, but wow, at that time, I mean, I'm outdoors to be honest. That's okay. really what I am. But I mean, so my parents, my parents, um, my family, I really just kind of grew up very average, very, um, middle-class, you know, nothing really surprising, nothing really exciting, just kind of living day to day. Um, and just kind of living in the suburbs just outside of Salt Lake city, Utah, you yeah. know, no, nothing real exciting there for sure. What did your parents do? Um, so dad was a postal carrier, so worked for the post office. Okay. Uh, mom, she did a variety of jobs, mainly stay-at-home job, stay mom for a period of time. Then she would do, you know, just like uh, administrative work wherever she could find it. What would you say would be the greatest influence as to why you ended up in the career field that you ended up in? You know, it was random. So, I mean, it's kind of like, for me, I think it's... <laughs> It's kind of, there's a, there's a really unconventional path to getting to where I'm at. And it really, I think started cause I was in the, so I joined the United States Marine Corps. So I did that when I was 18. Okay. And when I got out of the Marines, I didn't really have an idea of what I was going to do outside of knowing that I had a post nine 11 GI bill. It's time to use that, go to college. Hmm. Um, but I was struggling like a lot of veterans do. And I actually couldn't focus. I couldn't, I had to drop out of college. And what I ended up doing was trying to kind of like gather myself 
get used to being a civilian again and ended up of all places um, actually going to a massage school okay. just randomly. Uh, the idea was kind of like I'm used to this hyper aggression in the United States Marines. I was like, maybe I could deal with some softness. Huh. It was, okay. this was, I literally viewed it as a sabbatical. Okay. And then what was strange is that I fell in love with it okay. of all things. And so, and, so and you're I, like 22 I'm 22 at this time. Yeah. And so what was interesting though, is when I was at massage school, this particular school gave one of a world-class anatomy education. Oh, cool. So the university of Utah has one of the best anatomy programs and they take that program and basically replicated it for this massage school. And that's where I got to meet Jonathan Benyon. He's also, he's the co-founder and co-owner for the Institute of Human Anatomy. He was my teacher. Oh, no he, had, he had just started teaching. And so I got to meet him there. And once I graduated from massage school, I came back as a teaching assistant. And then that's when I actually got to hang out with him more. And when he opened the lab, brought me along. And it kind of just, it's... So he me, started it after he was teaching? He did. So okay. um, what, how it worked was in those early days, around 2010-ish, 2011-ish, the students from the massage school would go up to the University of Utah and they would get a cadaver lab. So you just get to go there, you get to see the bodies, and it would correlate with their curricula. That's awesome for a massage school to do that. That's right? not that's atypical, correct? That's very atypical. Yeah, yeah. And then it became non-existent because then that relationship fell apart mm. and there was basically riots in the hallways. And so because the students, I mean, it's not as though the students signed up solely to go to the cadaver lab, but it yeah. was a big selling point for that going to sure. school. Yeah. <laughs> and so Jonathan decided to start his own. And so he and his brother-in-law started the Institute of Human Anatomy and then just a few months later brought me along. And that's where we actually were trying to fill that gap. So we were offering the cadaver lab to massage students. And then everyone inside of the Salt Lake City area started discovering we existed. And so we started teaching EMTs, paramedics, medical assistants, dental assistants, basically anyone who doesn't have access to a cadaver lab in a, in a university setting. So basically a lot of trade schools. A lot of just vocational schools, those that just you don't because you don't go become a medical assistant at a university. That's more of nursing. So sure. there's this there's this empty space that we were able to capitalize on. And that's kind of what we did. That's so wild, dude. So, OK, when you first started doing this, did you have any idea like how it was going to shape into what it's become today? Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. So it was it was this cool thing to do on the side. Okay. Um, at the time, because I was doing massage therapy, again, like I had full intention of going back to school. But what happened for, for I didn't know quite yet what. Anything else? Basically? I'm still on this sabbatical <laughs> yeah. mindset. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I'm just doing this for fun for a little for, while. And then decompress. I decompress. But then I'm starting working in Park City. So if you're familiar with Park City, you know, it's a destination resort yeah. or desert, resort town. And I'm getting to work <clears> with like professional athletes. Like I'm working with bobsledders because you have the, uh, okay. the Winter Olympic training facility. There's only two in the United States. Yeah. One's in Lake Placid and the other's in Park City. So I'm working with professional athletes. I'm making, you know, over a hundred dollars an hour. I'm just like, I'm, I'm going to hold off on school. That's my focus. And then I'm teaching at the uh, Institute of Human Anatomy very part-time. Mm. It wasn't until what happened is when, how it, things evolved. When I say part-time, I was teaching a lab maybe once a month, once every two months. Oh, wow. Okay. And so what, like, what were you teaching? So what would happen is you basically have groups come in. And so if like, say if you wanted to come in, I would just ask you, like, I would wait until you got into the lab. Like, what do you want to learn today? 
Mm. And when we get there, then I have, we have all these, what are called pro sections. So Jonathan and I, we would do most of those dissections ourselves. Okay. So when we get a body, it's a normal body. Okay. Okay. But, but how are you getting a body? Like, wait, how, do, how does this whole process, like you're not just sourcing product, right? Like you're getting human yeah. bodies that have been it, recently deceased. So it, what, what's the process there? It's a great question because you shouldn't, the average person cannot go get a body. Right? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you're not going down to Home Depot and getting one. They're not listed on Alibaba. No. You can't just get them no. shipped in yeah, quantity to your warehouse. So what you have to do is know the right people as with everything. And so for us, we deal with, we got approval through the University of Utah, but then it just spread to actually working with a bunch of different body uh, donation programs throughout the United States. So there are, this is a whole world that I don't think a lot of people are aware exists around body donation because you have to understand universities need bodies for med students then you have then you have private institutions that do research and medical research hmm. so like i've personally hosted plenty of medical device testing labs where you have surgeons that'll come in and perform surgeries on body donors as opposed to actually doing that on a living patient. Mm. So experimental surgeries, new techniques, new, like that's where they hone their craft. So there is a whole industry around this. You need bodies. Yeah. So every region has multiple body donation programs. Some of them are certified. Some of them are uncertified. The uncertified are the sketchier ones. Mm. And that's, that. I mean, that's kind of a realm I don't honestly know much about because I actively avoid that at all costs. That's probably a good decision. Um, and so what we <laughs> you do... You probably end up being one of the cadavers. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not great. <laughs> um, and so then what we do is we talk with these body donation programs. And what you do is you do have to pay some money but you're paying the money to keep their company afloat. Right? Are these all privatized company? Like are these all private companies? Some of not? them are, some of them work through universities, right? So like the university of Utah is one that, okay. you know, they're going to work at the university level. So they have like donations coming in to obviously fund the campus. Yeah. But some of them are completely privatized. So hmm. it just kind of depends. So that's, it really depends on who we want to work with. You just um, got to know the right body dealer, basically. You do. You do. And of course, <laughs> like, so but they know who we are too, right? Because it's like, in order to the, the approval process for this, you have to know the right people. And because like I said, they're not just going to give it to you uh, just because you're like, hey, I have the skill set or the desire. Yeah. Um, so you have to know the right people. And that's what Jonathan did. So Jonathan and his brother-in-law who started it, that was the first like year or two years was figuring out, going through all the red tape of like, how do we start our own private human cadaver lab? And once you got that going... Then I became the lab director. And so it was my job to kind of like handle everything once they get to the lab. So okay. once you, when you get a body though, it's literally, you just like, you ask them, you tell them what you need, but you really only have a couple options, male or female. Hmm. And so body donors are pretty much all 55 or older, because if you're 55 or younger or 54 and younger, your organs might be viable for donation to save a life. Mm. So what that means is you got to be older. So um, you really are kind of limited. You can't be like, you know, you can't even really pick race, ethnicity. You really can't pick much. It's whatever is available because mm. whoever died, they had to get preserved or not preserved. You get the body. You just say, I want a male or a female. And then you take them back to the lab. And that's where you perform the dissections. Yeah. What's like the time lapse between they're gone and now they're at your lab? Depends. So it can be, uh, I think the soonest we had was a couple days okay. between, you know, death and then being in our lab. But there's also, because this is what's really cool, getting to work with embalmers. Embalmers are like morticians, but 
a little bit different because morticians will do some embalming, but like when you're talking about embalmers working at this level, they work with chemicals that are well beyond anything you'd find in a mortuary because mm. they're looking to preserve for over a decade or more, right? Like we can keep wow. these bodies for 10 years. So, you know, you, there's a lot of chemicals going in there, but in mortuary science and the embalmers, they're basically chemists. D- does the, sorry to interrupt. I, I, want to, I want you to keep going you're on fine. that. I just want to know, does the body look different from like year one to year 10? Depends on, depends on how much dissection has been done and depends on how much handling because the laws of physics still apply, right? You can only touch something so many times. Mm. And so for us, like we've, we've had one body that for like 10 years. Wow. And so at that point, you know, we've estimated, well, actually it's more of mine. It's this, this is a back of the napkin calculation, but it's like, I estimate somewhere around 15 to 20,000 people have come through the lab and physically touched this one body. So it then that breaks it down. So you get fraying and that's what kind of separates it. But, um, but yeah, with, with embalmers, you know, like learning their whole craft and what's going on in these, it's it's a really robust process and everything that goes with it. So what I was trying to say is sometimes like the preservation process may not take. So it's, this is a crazy thing. Like what can happen is they'll walk around and they may have to poke the bodies to see if the preservation process is happening properly. Uh, because if it's not, you might get some decomposition mm-hmm. and then they have to just go ahead and cremate the body. Uh, gotcha. So we're really limited. It's not That's only crazy. just like who died, but did the preservation process work properly? Right. And if it did, then we're allowed to take that body and we pay, we, you pay a little bit of money just to make sure that the business is running operally and properly. Sure. Um, and we then are a steward is the way we think of it. Like it's, it's a very ethical and responsible renting and so what we do is everything that is dissected is kept Hmm. so then you have like a container for that one individual body and then what happens at the end of their time there which we can keep them for about a decade we take their body and whatever we've dissected back to the body donation program and all of it gets cremated can I ask how much you pay for a single body? I don't even know that side. That's that's more of the that's their side of the things. I mean, yeah. it's it's not much, yeah, yeah. but I mean, again, it's something to keep the business. Yeah, like exactly. Said, yeah, exactly. Still operating a business, and yeah. embalmers got to get paid. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the the families of the dead people that are providing these bodies is this a decision that they're made like is this like part of the paperwork or something at the mortuary like how do they decide that they're, we're going to donate this body or do they get paid for it is it like a low income type thing is it purely donated like how what, what's that whole process because they're obviously not getting cremated and they're not getting buried there's no open casket and then and then they donate it or maybe that's how it works but yeah talk me talk me yeah. through that a little bit so i mean uh, great questions but it, it also kind of depends on each body donation program and so i'm only familiar with the ones that we've dealt with but they're all pretty much the same but what, who designs the program i mean whoever's in charge of it so i mean at the university level whoever's running that if it's at that or if it's a private institution what they'll do is i mean i'm sure they're working with you know local authorities and you know yeah, there, yeah. there's i'm sure there's a whole series some of regulations there. <laughs> yeah, yeah there needs to be if there's not that i mean i'm just not aware of at that level because that's the thing is you know since i don't do any of the embalming myself there is a whole nature of this that i'm unaware of but yeah. every time i go and talk with them i'm like a kid in a candy store asking yeah, them so many questions and so what i've learned over the years is um so they can the family can be the one who makes the decision but most times it's actually the donor 
And you usually at this stage, if because if you're dying from a non-traumatic event, so first off, they can't have died from a traumatic event. Okay. Because then, yeah, because then the cardiovascular system's compromised. And if you try to embalm them, it literally wouldn't work. The embalming preservatives would go outside the body. Gotcha. So you have to die under relatively normal circumstances, but that could be cancer, that could be a stroke, those types of things. But a lot of times, most of the bodies are cancer. These people know they're going to die. Mm -hmm. You have to understand in the United States, funeral costs are, I think last time I looked into it, it's averaged between twelve and $14,000. Oh, it's wild. It's insane. It's egregious, honestly. It is, <laughs> it is. And a lot of that's casket. And yeah. there's so much like, that's a whole other can of worms. But um, with with this, um, so these want, they want to save on funeral costs. So most of these body donors will just make this decision to donate their body to the med school. That's how most people view it. And so then what they'll do is you sign a form of bequeathal. That's okay. my favorite word, <laughs> bequeathal, to say. Uh, and be when you bequeath your body, when you die, your family notifies the body donation program that you have passed. They will then come and collect the body. And you have to do so within a certain period of time. It's I think it's usually they try to get there between 18 hours and 24 hours. Hmm. Because if not, rigor sets in rigor mortis okay so the body starts decomposing and the muscles get too tight and you physically can't preserve them wow. so you have a narrow window wow. where you have to get them so once the body is received and then they're preserved um then we then you can keep them if it's there's two options at least with the body donor programs we work with you could be a return to family body or you could be a common grave body a common grave body are those that are like, I don't really have a family or I don't care for my remains to be returned to my family. Return to family, they do care. Whatever it is, at the end of your time, all, everything that has been dissected is taken and gets cremated. If you're a return to family body, after two years, you get an urn with your loved one's remains. Oh, no shit. If you are a, if you're a, uh, huh. a common grave, then that'll usually go to a cemetery and there's going to be a location in the cemetery where that urn will be placed. Gotcha. So, um, so it's when you were saying like you're leasing the body, like that you're legitimately leasing the body, yes. like you got to give it back at some point. But here's the thing. The family can change their mind. And that's happened to us before mm. where we had a, we had a body that we thought was um, common grave. We're like, oh, we get to keep this body for 10 years. The family didn't want that. And they wanted the body back right away, mm. totally within their right. So then we just gathered everything up and returned the body. Everything was cremated and it was given back. <laughs> <That's so crazy. laughs> okay. So let's talk about high level here. Some of the things that you've learned examining like literally the insides of the human body. It's, you know, we're, I feel like we as a culture are generally moving into a period of being more aware of health and hopefully it catches on a little bit more in the coming generation or two so that, you know, the obesity rate in America could go down and uh, along with it, a lot of uh, really elected diseases uh, that, that people basically choose to do because they don't learn anything about how their body works. I'm curious, <clears throat> I'm curious, like if, if looking into this stuff has completely changed the way that you view how we function Absolutely. Humans. Absolutely. Um, so there's two, there's two kind of levels to it. Um, so for me, I mean, I've been teaching just anatomy as a science in the classroom without body donors for like 11, 12 years now. Okay. And I think the way I just broadly talk about anatomy, there's a re I call it the baseline science. It's a gateway science because there's a reason why it's taught in every healthcare field 
in the first semester, no matter what, right? Mm. No matter how you're going to treat the body, you got to know how it's built if you're going to fix it or at least attempt to. Yeah. Um, but the thing, but I always describe anatomy as a very boring science too. It's literally like, at least in the classroom, it's like, this is your liver. Mm -hmm. It's brown. It produces bile. It's a, it's an anatomy. It's a science of classification. So it's inherently boring. But the thing is, once you know it, you, you can think of it as the what. Physiology is the how. Then you're like, okay, but how does the liver make bile? How does the liver do these things? Mm. Reason why I call it a baseline or gateway science is because the more you know about anatomy, you can't help but get curious. You're like, okay, well then how do I fuel the liver? Hmm. Which creates nutrition. Okay, how do the, <clears throat> when you learn about your muscles, um, you know, like base and uh, intro and level anatomy is like, oh, this is biceps brachii, this is brachialis, all that fun stuff. But then all of a sudden, when you start asking like, well, which one moves in which movement, then you you can't help but start naturally shifting towards kinesiology and exercise science, hmm. right? So if you're able to learn anatomy just as a baseline, you, it's almost like learning a language. You yeah. know how like if you learn second language, it's easier to learn the third, the fourth, the fifth. Yeah. You learn anatomy, you speak the language of the body and it becomes immensely easier. Mm. And so for me, when I started learning just anatomy in the classroom, it was the most powerful thing ever because all of a sudden it's like, I understand what's going on. You know, yeah, I can yeah. talk to a dietitian, and there's, there's, there's no loss of communication. I can talk to a surgeon. Um, in fact, I've taught many surgeons when I would host those medical device labs, because surgeons, you have to understand they're so specialized. Yeah. They basically just brain dump their anatomy. That's first semester med school. And then they only focus on what they need to know. So if they're ortho, you know, it's like, mm. I know they know the anatomy of the back or the knee better than I do. Yeah. But I know the anatomy of the entire body better than them. So sure. it's like, you'll talk with them. And so it's, it's cool because anatomy is a powerful science because it just, you can talk with anyone in the healthcare profession. It doesn't matter where they are. But working with body donors is different. With body donors, all of a sudden what you learn is you see how things work. The first time I saw a lot of visceral fat, it, ch it changes you. Hmm. When you see, it's like, because we all kind of conceptually know. Like, yeah. I mean, like I've, before I knew anything about health, it's like I knew McDonald's was bad, but I mean, like yeah. I didn't know how it was bad. And then even when people tell you, that's still kind of abstract. Sure. Yeah. You know, but when you start seeing what real body fat looks right. like, when you see well, a fatty and, liver. And and a lot of people will think that they're not fat because they have a metabolism that burns fat out here. Mm -hmm. But then they, and, and for those listening that don't know visceral fats, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's the fat surrounding your organs. It's, correct. It, it's fat on the inside, essentially. Um, and it's the most dangerous kind of fat. Absolutely. Well. Right. Like, I mean, I'm not saying this is, this is, this isn't hundred percent accurate, but I mean, like if you could gain weight only in the subcutaneous fat, yeah, I mean, things wouldn't be as bad. Sure. For you. Sure. But the real problem is the visceral fat. So yeah. seeing that seeing cancer, I mean, uh, there was one donor I got to dissect her breast. She had breast cancer and it looked like someone had just dropped Skittles. Right. So you're sitting like inside of the breast. And so you're able to see these wow. things when you're able, there's just, there's knowledge that can be conveyed in the classroom, Yeah. but there's something that just needs to be seen to understood. And the, the, the beautiful part for me and my students is when they see it, I'd almost sometimes, I don't even have to say anything. It's just, I show it and I'm like, that's cancer. And ever, if you just see it washing over them. Mm -hmm. Everyone now understands why that's bad in a way that they never could have unless they had seen it. Yeah, which is why they in Europe put the pictures of black lungs on the outside of cigarette uh, boxes and stuff like that, <laughs> hoping it deters people, which it obviously doesn't uh, uh, still. But the first, I so I've dissected out lung cancer from what I 
assume was a smoker, but they actually don't tell us that information, which is actually kind of interesting. They back to real quick. They only the only thing I know about these body donors is their age and what they pass from. I don't know any of their medical history. Oh, so I've kind of called it Sherlock Holmesing. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like I, I see something and I just then start kind of like deducing what could have you possibly happened. You can make happen. some yeah, reasonable assumptions exactly. based on what you're seeing. Um where was I going? What lung was I cancer. Lung cancer. Yeah. So with lung cancer, um, when I dissected lung cancer, so lungs are squishy. Like if I were to, I assume, grab your lungs, yeah. right? It would be nice and squishy, be like a sponge. There'd be a lot of pliability. I could move them. This was black and hard like a rock. Wow. And it had white spots that were all throughout it. That, But I mean, what was strange to me is I remember this was the first time I really asked myself, like, I couldn't understand. I understood how they died from this. I didn't understand how they were living five minutes before they died. <laughs> wow. You know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Like, I like was at like, what point did this yeah. become hard enough to actually, exactly yeah, like there's this to stop thing. functioning. It just doesn't compute. Yeah. And you can see this with all sorts of health, right? All sorts of things. And yeah. so when people die of different things, when I get to see those, you just start to understand what living does as a toll on the body. Hmm. Even things like strokes, even things like there's all sorts of things that may not necessarily be that they weren't making optimal choices. Sometimes it's just the way that, you know, it's the luck of the draw. Sure, sure. But that kind of stuff is extremely powerful. And so what it, for me, what it's done is it's made me, I, I can't justify poor health choices. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like while I may have known McDonald's was bad, it's like I was when I never knew how, now I know. Right. There's just, and that's. When you're carving out visceral fat from organs. You just know. Yeah. And or so holding you, a black lung. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to justify exactly. smoking the cigarette. Exactly. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
What about cirrhosis of the liver? Like, is there like, is that something that you can tell pretty immediately? So I haven't seen cirrhosis in our lab. So okay. coming through, but you know, from my understanding, I have seen images of it and you can, I mean, the name itself actually means red, orange, yellow, uh, liver. And mm. so it's all bulgy and it'll be discolored. So you'd be able to see that. So cirrhosis though, that's end game of liver failure. So I've seen fatty liver, like alcoholic fatty liver disease, and that is still deformed. It looks what, strange. What, so that's before it becomes cirrhosis is yeah. what it would. So that's like the gradual. Exactly. Yes. Stage. Cirrhosis is end game. When you're, when you have a cirrhosis, when your liver is in that, I don't know if cirrhotic is the <laughs> right now, but it, I think everyone understands what I'm saying. Yeah. When you're at that stage, that's when you're headed towards liver failure. So there's stages before that that are still, you're in trouble. You, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, it looks different. It's for sure. like alert, alert, please yeah. alter course immediately type of a thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, let's talk about a couple of those things. Um, I want to, I want to talk to you about the brain a little bit as well, but um, let's talk about start, start with alcohol. Let's go through some vices here and just roll through you know, their, their effect on the body. What, what happens when you, when you're actually drinking liquor, how bad is it really for you? Yeah. So, you know, this is one of our most popular videos that we did was on alcohol. Um, and what's funny is when I did that video, I didn't even, you always hope the video is going to do well, yeah. But that was one of the first videos that surprised me mm. in how well it actually did. But in hindsight, it's like, of course it did well. It's alcohol. Yeah. Um, so alcohol, it really just, there's so many factors that go into it. So when you consume alcohol, um, it can be absorbed somewhat in your mouth. So, you know, it's like, think like wine tasters, mm-hmm. right? There's a slosh in it around. They can actually absorb some small amounts. It gets absorbed in your stomach, which is why your stomach will actually feel warm. Um, but not a lot. Most of it gets absorbed in the small intestine, but when it goes to the liver, it's going to be converted, um, with some enzymes essentially into fat and whatever doesn't get converted into fat makes it in the bloodstream. And that's where things start. It starts, you know, manipulating the mind Hmm. and different, your neurochemistry, but you are going to have fat that is going to be created inside of the liver just based off of metabolism. And it just stresses everything out. I mean, it affects your kidneys. It affects obviously your liver. Um, it affects your brain. I mean, we're talking, it's global. It affects your muscle tissue, you know, and that's something that a lot of people don't understand. How so? Um, it can actually interfere with, um, with, uh, the protein, with protein synthesis. So Mm -hmm. say like, if you go to the gym and then you drink later that day, I'm not saying you're going to negate any gains, all the gains, but you are going to negate some of those gains. We know that it actually interferes with that, the protein synthesis. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, and it, so it's global, you know, the, cause you have to understand this is the thing that a lot of people don't think of is we know it affects the brain, but it has, it gets to the brain by going through the bloodstream and the bloodstream is literally everywhere. So the alcohol is affecting your toes. It's affecting your joints, everything. Now, some things are going to be worse than others. And so, and I'm not, I don't pretend to be, you know, have read all the literature. I don't know how much investigation has been done. It's like, how does alcohol affect your knees? I don't know how much has been done, if any, on those levels. But it's not helping them. It's not helping them. (laughs) It is definitely not helping them at all. Yeah. How, how, how negatively does it affect your brain? Like is like what type of long term, obviously it affects your brain immediately, your mind, but like, how does it affect 
your does it affect your brain physically long term so that's the thing since making that video which is really in which is really fantastic is that a lot of video not a lot of videos a lot of research has come out showing the detrimental effects of alcohol and one of the big ones is neurodegeneration so the gray matter which is the outer cortex it's the outer surface of your brain it's very it's very thin i forget the exact what it is in millimeters but i mean it's very very thin it actually gets smaller it shrinks when you even if you drink one drink a week Hmm. um i can't remember exactly how much it does but i mean you can just play that game of what is this going to be like when you do this chronically Hmm. right and whether that chronically is just okay what drink every day this that or the other um but neurodegeneration so what that's going to do is it's going to impact your cognitive health you're not going to be able to focus as well you're not going to be able to your neuroplasticity is going to go down so you're not going to be able to adapt to situations as well as you once could Hmm. um it, it's going to affect everything because your brain is everything. So, I mean, is it going to affect your hearing as in like you're getting hearing loss? No, but it could actually impact your ability to process sounds optimally. Mm. So it's just going to have, you're going to have shrinkage in the brain. And that is still something we're working out to see exactly how bad is that? Sure, That's something we need more time, but we can definitely see it. Yeah. It's wild to me, dude, because alcohol is one of those things um, that seem it, it seems like we just accepted it as a culture a long time ago when it's just one of the worst things that we can do. Um, and to be clear, I still drink, um, because it's fun, but also I, you know, don't binge drink for those reasons. And, and the, and I frankly, am just like trying to cut back more and more and more, um, because of all of those reasons. It's like, I, it's, it seems like that's going to be like, it's going to be like smoking at some point where we as a society at some point are just going to be like, remember when everybody used to drink all the time, <laughs> you know, yeah. remember, like just like we talk about cigarettes, remember everybody used to light up like, you know, outside the church, you know, in mm-hmm. the restaurants, at the airport, uh, in the office, there's cigarettes everywhere. you know, that was not that long ago. Yeah. I feel like probably in the next 30, 40, 50 years, it's eventually the more data comes out, I guess, you know, or the, the, as soon as people start living to 120, 130, 140 years old, and we start realizing that there's actually, you know, we're, we're capable of doing so much more. I I feel like that's going to be one of those things that we kind of look back on and we're like, oh, that was kind of dumb. <laughs> I, I I completely agree with you. I mean, I I quit drinking, but it's funny. It's like it's not because I felt like I had a problem or anything. It was just that I got tired of feeling terrible, mm, yeah. and that it was just that simple. And I've loved it. I've loved it. Like, there's not like to me. It's more like I think of drinking in the same way that I think of ice cream, mm. where it's like some days it's like that'd be nice to have some ice cream. Yeah, yeah. But I almost never actually go get the ice cream Mm. and then you just give it a little bit of time but you know i understand why people do it because i mean i drank for years i mean i'm a i'm a marine like drinking is is in my blood for sure so um but i think i i understand exactly what you're saying i I really believe that'll be the case and i only expect us to find worse results Mm. the more we look into alcohol because and this is something i said in that video this was about three or four years ago now that i made it uh, i'm like it's poison. Mm-hmm. And we all know it's poison yep. in the same way that we we're not Mc- under the pretense. Yeah, yeah. We, we know McDonald's is bad. I mean, so it's just now we're figuring out how bad it really is. Yeah. Well, yeah. this is depressing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So let's move on to the next vice. Uh, let's talk uh, vaping Yeah, versus smoking. It's obviously, obviously fairly well documented that smoking is pretty bad for you. Um, vaping is the new thing. And now there's kids, dude, like just kids. They're like mm-hmm. 11. <laughs> around freaking vapes um gotta gotta assume there's it's not 
good for you either. So let's talk through some some of the some of the effects that vaping might have on you. So vaping is so there's there's a difference in types of vape that we have learned this because so Jonathan made a few videos on vaping and if you want to agitate a community, make a video demonizing vaping. <laughs> they are very passionate because there is nicotine type vaping and then there's cannabis Mm -hmm. and then you have regulated versus unregulated and to me i think we're just splitting hairs here and at the end of the day they're all going to be bad yes it's on a spectrum Mm. right i think there's no disagreement like the unregulated thc cartridge you got from the trunk of a car you know in a denny's parking lot yes okay (laughs) that is going to be the worst cartridge okay um but at the end of the day your lungs evolved to inhale oxygen, nitrogen, that's pretty much it. And exhale carbon dioxide. There are vapors that are going in there. Obviously that's in its name that we just don't have long-term studies. Mm. So what we do know is with THC based cartridges, something called Evoli, I forget off the top of my head what Evoli stands for, but Evoli is destroying lungs. Mm. We've seen data around popcorn lung. Uh, Popcorn lung got its name based around movie theater popcorn and workers, the fumes actually destroying parts of the alveoli, the, the, the distal most sacs inside their lungs based off those fumes. So at the, to me, it's like, I, I think this is about as common sense as it is. Look, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I used to smoke cigarettes when I was in the Marine Corps. Yeah. I used to justify that like crazy. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I know it's bad for me, but uh, I could stop it. Like, I know the mentality of smokers mm-hmm. and I know the mentality of vapors is the same thing, even mm-hmm. if they don't want to pretend, they want to pretend that it's different. Yeah. Um, at the end, they're justifying it. I think everyone knows that it's more likely it's bad for you than it isn't. Mm. Um, but the thing that they're holding their hat on is that we don't have a ton of long-term data. But the data we are having come in is suggesting that, yes, there are definitely problems. It's affecting the sacs. So these alveoli, these are really tiny. These are microscopic little sacs. That's the very end of the bronchial tubes. So okay. when you breathe in, that's where air stops and it meets the bloodstream. Those are somewhat getting destroyed or losing elasticity. These are in your lungs? These are in your lungs. Okay. So they're losing elasticity. Um, you're seeing you're seeing in some cases, you know, again, it depends on, we'd have to ask, what is the vape? What are they smoking or inhaling? Um, things that are similar to like emphysema, COPD, so chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Hmm. There's, there's all sorts of little incidents, yeah. but we just don't have long-term data. But I think anyone who is assuming this is going to be fine, that they could, they could do this all day, every day until they're yeah. 90 and assume they'll be fine. I think they're deluding themselves. The substance is basically irrelevant, whether it's THC or nicotine or whatever it is, it's yeah. pretty much irrelevant. Yeah. Like it's, they're all going to affect you differently yeah. because in order to, THC is going to, it's a different molecule, right? Than nicotine is. Mm-hmm. So you have to have different carrier molecules. You, there's different things, there's different subtleties and those are going to interact with the body. And there's no question that what it seems like is unregulated THC cartridges are very bad. Mm. But at the end of the day, you still are inhaling things with the nicotine. Sure. Nicotine itself is not that bad. Yeah. So it depends. There's actually, a lot. I've, I've heard that it's actually not, that's actually pretty good in some, in some Exactly. Cases. But the problem is it's also very easy to abuse. And yeah. so, I mean, this is where we just have to be honest with ourselves yeah. and see it and say like, okay, is it worth it? Is it, is it, is it worth the effort or the risk that's coming with it? And yeah. for me, it's like, I, I, don't see why you'd really go down that realm yeah if you don't have to uh what about uh what about smoking weed like smoking flour versus a vape or uh smoking flour versus smoking a cigarette 
it's awful for you smoking anything yeah because i mean the, anything the, you inhale into your lungs besides oxygen the way i always good. put it is it's like you're lighting something on fire right in front of your face and inhaling it yeah, yeah. Uh, that's not good for you mm-hmm. um smoke there are many different kinds of smoke and they all matter differently but they're all bad for you and we know this so it's like if someone were to like i'm not in the habit of giving medical advice but if someone were to just like ask like justin like what's your preference scale yeah yeah right like obviously like vaping yeah well it's like alcohol right like <laughs> yeah. no alcohol is good for you but tequila is probably yeah. like the best one exactly you know, if we're gonna make a if we're if we're forcing me to pick like good alcohol it's probably the clear tequila (laughs) it's probably best exactly exactly so that and that's that's where i'm at is vaping is going to be the best one more out of those typical but with smoking is like okay smoking a cigar what how's that going to be different because if you inhale the cigar smoke that's gonna be very bad for you well you shouldn't be inhaling the cigar smoke but this is where you start getting like all these little nuances and I'm not in the habit of fighting with the community in my comment section. Yeah. Um, but I read those comments and you can see that like when I did a video talking about this very thing about how all smoke is bad, I don't care what it's coming from. It's yeah. bad for you. Um, the amount of pushback I got from cigar smokers was, mm. was intense because they are just out there like, well, you shouldn't be doing that. And yeah. I'm like, I, I get it, but I mean, do you really think like no smoke, like not even a little bit of smoke is getting into your lungs? Right. It's all very bad for you. It destroys, it, again, COPD, so emphysema, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Um, it's going to create um, bronchitis. Yeah. It's going to, it, it's, you are literally inhaling hot, at, like fumes into your lungs. It's going to destroy them. Is there, um, <clears throat> so, so, so let's, let's do the fake scale thing here. So we're talking, um, uh, like smoking cigarettes, probably all the way, like worst thing you could do. Mm. What, what would be the best thing if you're picking one of those vices, picking one of those vices, like um, cigar smoke, assuming you're not inhaling cigar smoke, you're doing it properly. You're smoking it in the mouth or like smoking, you know, a, a joint or smoking a vape or like, wh- like where do you put all these things on this kind of, I would probably put it at, um, bad to worst spectrum. <laughs> That's a really good question. I'd have to really, I mean, I'd have to do some, pro, I don't want to, it's not that I need to do a robust comparative analysis or anything <laughs> like that, but I mean, like I get I the get feeling. Some views, though if you did. Right, probably. <laughs> um, I would probably put it and rank it. I, I would, I'd say probably THC. That's, it's a, it's a toss up because I mean, like I'm also a fan of THC and CBD mm-hmm. and I'm, I am really interested. Of the compounds themselves. Of the compounds themselves. Yeah. I'm very much interested in them. I'm very interested in psychedelics as a whole. Mm. And while THC doesn't really classify as a psychedelic, I really am optimistic about a lot of things mm-hmm. with it. Um, so that might be affecting my bias with it. Okay. But at the same time, I would definitely put it in vaping. So whether it's nicotine or vaping, those are probably going to be the best. Vaping is would be better than smoking. Hundred percent. Okay. Hundred percent. But I mean, there could be a study that comes out next week, and it's sure. just, And I'm just like, oh that yeah, obliterates yeah. that. Yeah, yeah that right, makes right. that makes sense. Right. Well, it doesn't bode well for my cigar smoking either. But yeah, um, yeah. you know, some of those vices, man. Like sometimes I'm just like, you know what? I know this is bad for me, but uh, I enjoy this so it's much. The, you don't have to be <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah, exactly. You don't have to be perfect, and <laughs> yeah. I'm not. And nobody's vice free, you know. Exactly. And like if you tell me you are, you know. Like, you're lying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's something you're hiding. Yeah. This is never, for me, it's never been about passing judgment. It's merely just kind of just educating that that's all it sure. is. Like, yeah, yeah. Like I am all about personal agency. Make your own choices. Well, also the frustrating part, I'm sure from your end is just like seeing the like desperate justification from people who want to feel good about it. Yeah. Instead of just admitting 
that it's just all right yeah, yeah it's not good for me but i'm gonna smoke a cigar exactly and that's <laughs> like, the thing the honestly the probably the best <laughs> the best comments i've seen come from cigarette smokers mm. because they all understand yeah. it's bad like, <laughs> there's no talking your way out of that one yeah, yeah. They, they they they're just like look we do it because you know we want to be rebels and i'm like okay yeah. you know who you are that's hey, all good, good for you it's yeah. all good. <laughs> oh man um is there like a frequency like so asking from me being a cigar smoker if you're smoking three cigars a day, that's got to be a difference between smoking one cigar a month, right? I mean, have you? Do you know any of the data on that? I don't know it off the top. I did at one point because uh, I definitely want. I, I did at one point, but I don't remember at this point. Just understand, like, put it this way: you have a turnover rate for cells called epithelial cells inside okay. of your mouth, inside of your throat, and it takes it can take a few days to a couple weeks, depending on the type of cell and the exact location. Just think like even if you're inhaling and puffing on that cigar, you're destroying the epithelium that are on your teeth, on the roof of your mouth, on your tongue. Those are just getting bombarded, hmm. right? So that's going to take a little bit of time for them to fully replicate, well, regenerate and get to where they, that'll take a couple days. Um, it also, but it also just depends on the type of cigar, right? I mean, is this, um, is this a full-blown Cuban, you know, like that you imported Sure. When you shouldn't have, you know, it, like we, there is nuances to this. Um, because, because it also matters like what kind of chemicals are wrapped in the tobacco leaves yeah. and like the additive. That's what kind of, from my understanding, makes cigarettes worse than basically anything else, right? Is like just the additives and the chemicals and the other shit they put in there that's not tobacco. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, again, we're ruining most of my life here, <laughs> um, but let's keep going down this rabbit hole because it's fun. Um, uh, oh, I want to talk nootropics, um, mainly because um, Magic Mind is sending me these boxes, um, and I want I, I've re I've really enjoyed them. Have you taken these before? I haven't. No. You want to try one? Let's do it. Yeah. Um, it's uh, cold. Uh, yeah, I, I like them refrigerated. Um, they're actually so they sent me a formula the first time, and I was not a big fan, and uh, so we didn't end up doing anything. And then they sent me another box and changed the formula up a little bit. And I was like, oh, that's actually actually a really tasty shot. Um, so the reason I take these is for um, uh, like focus mode, you know. So I take them a lot before podcast interviews because yeah. I enjoy. Like I, I, I feel a difference. Like if, if we, if we take these right now in like 20 minutes, you know, I, I, f I feel a, a shift in my cognitive performance, I think. Yeah. Um, so I'd take them because I think it makes me a little bit sharper. Um, and then, uh, and then there, so there's, there's a, a nootropics, it's a matcha shot, but there's adaptogens, um, a bunch of vitamins in there for immunity. Um, and then I think stuff like cordyceps and, uh, and different things like that, that they, that they put in this, but yeah. Um, 21 calories. That's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's actually like 30, 40 milligrams of caffeine as well. If you're cool with caffeine. No, I, I am. Okay. Yeah, I cool. like it. I'm good. All right. Let's try it. So let's talk nootropics. Um, how, 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 have you seen any research on these or, or data on these or like, you know, to the extent of them actually working to improve cognitive performance? You know, I know there definitely are like, I've looked, it's been a couple of years since I did any real good deep research um and most of that research was around some of the big players that a lot of people are familiar with like we're talking theanine uh magnesium three and eight um apigenin these ones i'm really liking ones that are helping me with sleep and okay. anything along those lines um when it comes to like actually like boosting cognitive performance um i'm not that educated on that as much okay. as i want to like for me it's like i'm very more i'm much more educated on the science of what you see in different states like what is an alpha state what is a theta state those mm. types of things okay um 
I remember from what I was looking at before um, years ago, um, it didn't impress me all that much, but that's not to say that it wasn't valuable. Sure. But I mean, like, I guess like in my head, a lot of the thoughts that I had with nootropics is I'm like, oh, I'm going to take this and this is going to just blow my mind. You know, I want this reishi mushroom or this lion's mane. I mean, yeah. like I've, I've experimented with those them. are in here as well. I love lion's mane. I, so when it comes to fungus, I'm actually a very big fan. Okay. So like, you know, your <coughs> reishi mushrooms, your lion's mane mushrooms. Um, I can't remember for the life of me off the top of my head why they're so great. Um, yeah. I know lion's, well, I think lion's mane has to do with, um, myelination so like you have neurons which are the cells that send signals mm -hmm. they are wrapped in fat okay. and the more fat they're wrapped in the faster and more efficient they are and i believe lion's mane helps thicken that fat so basically okay. which so i mean it can help with performance um cognitive performance and things of that nature so it's like I, there are definitely some that are well understood mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but i you know i i'm not as educated on them as i wish i was yeah i, I like these ones man uh, these, these are probably the favorite, my favorite ones i've ever tried so i'm happy happy for that they keep sending me boxes and i'm happy to send some people over to them and, yeah, let's yeah, do it so let's do it. yeah cheers oh that's good actually that tastes good it's not bad right that's good yeah uh, for a second i was thinking with the green i was like ah this is probably gonna wheatgrass or yeah. something <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. no there was uh that's really good actually. another company sent me some stuff one time and i tried it and i was just like i can't i can't endorse this guys like i'm sorry like, i'm sure it's really good for me yeah. but i am no i'm just there's no way i'm gonna drink this every day no i i know how that goes i mean like there's been so many sponsors that even like i get excited for ahead of time and then i yeah. try it and there was one i i can't i'm not i wouldn't say the name of the company but i don't remember the name of the company it was some kind of honey and I love honey. I take honey all the time. I give it to my kids when we're sick. I mm. like it made me ill. Oh, it, really? like, it, like it made me ill. But like I'm giving it to my whole family, all these other people I'm giving it to and they love it. Really? And I'm just sitting there like, well, I can't I'm endorse it yeah, though. Right, because like right. maybe I'm just there's something with my genetics, but yeah. It's yeah. the whole vitamin vegimin yeah. I love Lucy skit. Exactly. You know what I mean? You're trying to say that it looks good or that it tastes good while you're like yeah. throwing up in your mouth exactly <laughs> like, I, can't, I can't do this guys. exactly I'm sorry exactly so yeah um thanks to magic mind for sending me a bunch of this stuff uh if you want to go try magic mind for yourself you can go to magicmind.com slash jan as in january j-a-n jan travis um, and then use code travis20 um, you're going to get 75 dollars off your order when you subscribe for a three-month supply of Magic Mind. So magicmind.com slash Janet Travis and use code Travis20 if you want to try this uh, no-drop. It's my favorite one. Um, I use them all the time. And I gen if you're a podcaster, I think you owe it to yourself and to your audience to take these before you do any of your episodes or recording your content. I genuinely believe it um, actually really, really helps. So, um, But yeah, pr thanks for indulging my happy uh, to my questions on nootropics um and then before we're talking about that we were talking about um the full spectrum of things and then we mentioned that you're actually a fan of thc and cbd yeah. but like smoking is probably not the best way so what about stuff like edibles you know like gummies or cookies brownies whatever like is, is, is it okay to consume in those forms and if so are they all kind of created equal or is there preferred choice or method of consumption so i mean great question um I easy to answer. Are they all, I mean, at the end of the day, it's still butter, you know, it's still a cookie, you know, sure. you have to ask like, what, what, what are, what else are you eating? You know, how, like, how's that going to affect your blood sugar and all sorts of those types of questions are still going to be baked into it. Um, so in that sense, it's like, 
Um, I think a gummy would probably be better than eating, say, like a miniature pizza yeah, or something yeah, along right. those lines. Um, but it's, you know, a lot of it also just comes down to how effective was, you know, the the mixture or the mixing between the THC and the and the carrier molecule molecules. So it's like butter is a really good one just because, you know, it's able to bind all the fat and it's just really awesome and mm. really dense. But then if you cook with that butter, you're spreading it out. So then it's like, I mean, if you're eating pure just butter. A spoonful of butter, baby. <laughs> yeah, you know, let's do I it. mean, it's going <laughs> to be, it's gonna be fun. It's going to be a fun day. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm a huge fan of edibles because... You know, again, clip. That's it. We're done. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> One vice has exactly. slipped through. Exactly. We're well, allowed to take out of there's there's definitely risk when it comes to THC, and that's the same risk that comes with any kind of psychedelic. And if someone has a history of mental illness, yeah. you know, in their family, they have to take these things very seriously. It's not something mm. uh, for me. It's like. I am not a fan of recreational drug use from in most cases. Mm. Um, but I also understand that this is life and this is what people are going to do. Sure. And so for me, it's like if it was between alcohol and THC, then okay, it's always going to be THC. But even then, you need, still need to do your research if you can. Yeah. I'm not saying you have to be a scientist and out there and just like sure. really figuring this stuff out. But at the end of the day, it's like if you have a history of mental illness in your family, taking very powerful uh, edibles may be a very, very bad idea. You know, schizophrenic episodes have been known to show. Mm. Psychoses have been known to show up. Um, it's not obscenely common, but it's common enough that it's something you should be aware of sure. if you have a family history of these types of is things. Is that exclusive to THC or does that exist also with other like psychedelics, MDMA? Very common with psychedelics. Very common with psychedelics, which is why it's like for me in my mind, it's again, this isn't medical advice, but this is just saying if you're going to do these things, you need to do them responsibly mm. because if you do them responsibly, there's a lot of power in these things. Sure. Um, and what really interests me about THC and CBD is not just like if you go get your, you know, like for me, um, I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah. We have it. It's not recreationally available, but yeah. we can have, I can get my medical card and I do have my medical card. So mm. I'm a card carrying nice. uh, cannabis user. Um, they're really talking about all of the benefit, the physical benefits. Oh, it's going to do this for your blood pressure and all that, which is great. I'm most interested in cognitive benefits mm. in things around what they've been sh able to show around relaxing, um, you know, um, anti-nausea, anti-anxiety, uh, helping with PTSD. These types of things are what really fascinate me. And that's why I'm such a big fan of THC and the various different um, cannabinoids. Um, and edibles just seem like a great way to do it. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can chop it up, you can get really scientific with it. You can know exactly how much you're getting with it as opposed to smoking it mm. or vaping can even be really hard to tell. So I just like how it's packaged. I yeah. think it makes a ton of sense. Um, what about negative effects of THC? If, if you're taking THC over a long period of time in edible form, even does it have like, is there brain cell degradation, things like that? Yeah, that's a good question. I would have to look and see. Not the last time I looked, there wasn't anything that was overly convincing. Okay. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we find something down the road. Yeah. But now that's becoming more like less taboo. Obviously, that's the thing. Is I mean, like you're you as a body, as a human, as an organism, are a very complex set of systems. Mm. And so when people, I don't, we need to not be as surprised when things end up being worse for us. <laughs> yeah. Right. Especially if they're fun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, pretty much all fun things. I, I assume most fun things are bad for <laughs> exactly. me. So it's a proper assumption. But at the same time, you know, we've been talking about this ad nauseum is there's yeah. a, there's something that can be worse for you. It can be not as bad for you. So I, for me, it's the detrimental effects, um, definitely habit forming. 
we know that we know it affects things like work ethic and focus and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. like, if you're trying to accomplish something, maybe doing it, you know, with THC is not the best way to go. Yeah. Um, they, they've shown like, it's not nearly as valuable for creativity as people like to think. Mm. You know, I know for my own cannabis use, like I feel like I'm having a lot of great ideas and then I write them down or I talk them out and then I, I look at it when I'm sober and I'm like, that's a bad idea. You know, that's a, I'm not going to do that. It's almost that like it helps even make me. sense. Yeah, you know? <laughs> Don't even know what I was trying to you say know, there. And if it does help at times with people, that's great. But they've actually, there's been research that's shown that uh, you'd probably come up with that idea regardless of the cannabis without mm. the THC. But at the same time, I'm also not... like, I feel like people have almost like rituals. And to me, it's like, that's really probably like that probably is more credited for the idea than the substance that you're on. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like you're not most of the time, just if you're, if you're somebody who likes to be creative when you're high or whatever, like you're not just doing some sort of brainless activity. You're like watching TV or whatever and coming up with ideas. You're probably going for a walk in nature or you're like journaling or writing stuff down or like you're typing out a manuscript or you know if if you're an author or you're painting or you're drawing or you're doing graphic design or something there's some sort of like ritualistic aspect that i think maybe that triggers you to get into a flow state quicker and allows you to be more creative but you've kind of like deemed it as like the substance that does it to you when it's probably just like a combination of multiple effects um, that uh-huh. gets you into flow state a little bit quicker. I, I completely agree with you. Like, yeah, I think you nailed it. And that's um, like, for me, I know like my best ideas come for me when I go on long walks. Same. Like I just go on long walks. Yeah. And so there's been many times like I would purposely take THC and sure I'm having great ideas, but I feel like I'm always having great ideas. Mm. And I came to find that I couldn't remember my ideas that I had the THC as well as I could if I didn't. So that's true. <laughs> you know, it's I for me, it's I don't take it for those reasons. Sure. I'm not using it for ideation or any kind of the creative processes. And yeah. I'm very big on creative processes and understanding those. And so if it did help me, I'd be first in line. I'd be yeah, like, yeah. I'd be like, let's let's, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about CBD versus THC? Yeah. So CBD, uh, CBD has a lot more on a lot of the different cannabinoids other than THC. I'm not saying they're snake oil. Okay. I'm just saying they have a snake oil feel to them more so than THC does. Um, I know like for me sitting in that like doctor's office and you know, like they have this huge chart and they're showing you all these different, like this, this cannabinoid, this cannabinoid does this, 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 and all these different things. And I look in the research and I don't see a lot of that or in any really overly convincing manner. Mm. Um, I would not be surprised if there's a lot of placebo attached to it. Yeah. But maybe that's still helpful to people. Um, I'm not saying they aren't helpful. I'm just saying it doesn't, it's not nearly as impressive to me. Mm. And I, the data has not been overly impressive. Um, I know I will get flat uh, pushback, like especially in this community. And I'm not trying to be, not trying to talk down on it. I'm just saying what I've seen. Sure. And so I'm not, I'm not that into the cannabinoids outside of THC. Okay. But if they are good for me, awesome because i like to consume sure. both of them together well there's not a lot of like negative like if you're you know rubbing cbd balm on your sore shoulder it's not like it's going to make it worse exactly you know? like that, that to me like when i started seeing cbd balm at 7-eleven as i'm checking out i knew something was wrong 
I, I was like, this is, this is, we've officially. That's not where science goes. This is officially. This is the counter of 7 <laughs> with the yeah. boner pills. Exactly. And all the, yeah. Right next to it. They're right next to it. So I knew something had gone really wrong. Oh yeah. man, that's, a, that's actually a, a pretty fair point. Yeah. It's the company you keep, man. You exactly. Know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, okay. Let's talk, uh, let's talk the YouTube side for a second. Let's talk, talk the creator side. Um, who, whose idea was it to get on YouTube? So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting story. Um, to get on YouTube was all of our idea to get on TikTok, which happened right beforehand was more so my idea. Okay. So basically what happened, this is go really fast with this. I was teaching at a school that school closed down. Okay. Um, they just, their student population uh, dipped down and they couldn't do it. Um, I found myself needing to pay the bills. I was Mm -hmm. working very part-time at, um, the Institute of Human Anatomy and so I started getting into side hustles like we all do. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm desperately Googling, Yeah, <laughs> you okay. know, like how do I make money real fast? And right. I stumbled into digital marketing as a, so many people do, mm-hmm. social media mm-hmm. marketing agency. And um, I started looking into Instagram and that's when I had this idea of maybe we could put, we could make cadaver videos. But this was back in 2019. Instagram had IGTV, which floundered, did terrible yeah. for many different reasons. But um I had this, I was like, man, I think video would be really good for us. But Instagram wasn't good at it at this time. Instagram Mm -hmm. was Instagram and YouTube was where we wanted to be. But I knew YouTube was going to be pretty competitive. And then one of my former students mentioned TikTok. And I had been familiar with TikTok, but I had like kind of like not thought about it that hard. Yeah. And then um, as soon as she said it, I was like, that's what I want to do. So what I did is I reached out to TikTok um, because when if you at this time TikTok is not the juggernaut it is today yeah. at all. There's basically only this is early 2019, so there's just kids dancing and prank videos. Yeah. So what I do is I actually um, send a message. I film a test video in vertical format, nine by sixteen, and I send that to ByteDance, the parent company of TikTok, because mm-hmm. I couldn't find a contact inside of TikTok. They in two hours. TikTok emailed me back. Wow. And this is when they have no educators on the on the platform. They have nobody. They're like, we want you on this platform. Yeah. And so I got on a phone call with them. No and way. so wow. I was immediately talking with a growth strategist there. And they were like, we, will, we would love to work with you and get your content on the platform. Hmm. And so I worked with TikTok for the next couple months, figuring out how to do this. Now, we had wanted to go online as the Institute of Human Anatomy for years but we just didn't have a lot of time to devote to it. Mm. And it was mainly thinking around making digital courses. And we knew we'd have to be part of social media in some way, but like none of us were thinking, oh, we're going to be TikTokers. We're going to be YouTubers. (laughs) That was not on our radar. It was more like just we were going to do the normal thing. But when I posted the first TikTok, um, this was November 4th, 2019, it went viral immediately. Mm. So all of a sudden I call the guys and I'm like, like Jonathan and his brother-in-law and I'm like, Hey guys, we're viral. We got, we got together and every video within that first week, we got close to like 50 million views just immediately. Each Um, video? Uh, not each video total, but in, to, in total, but there was a couple that like, eventually they had like 35, 40 million views on TikTok. Wow. And it never stopped. Mm. So I know like for every other creator on the planet, it's a grind. Yeah. It wasn't for us. Yeah. It was just like all of a sudden we found ourselves here. Do you think that TikTok had a hand in that? Kind of, but not as much as I, as many people probably would guess. Yeah. Because like we talked with them. So what they did, they actually did limit me. Okay. Well, I, well, I shouldn't say me. They limited us because what happened was the videos were doing too well. 
And so all of a sudden the TikTok app updated and then our videos were doing, weren't doing as well. And the creators, the creator growth strategists were like, well, um, it did seem like they were getting to some, some viewers that didn't want to see it. Mm. TikTok had to like shift the algorithm because to, of you guys, because of us <laughs> and how we were sending these videos. And, but that's why I contacted them, mm. right? Cause we didn't want to send these cadaver videos to kids. That was the, mm. that was the thing that I was constantly in my head. I was like, I don't want yeah, dance yeah. video, dance video, human heart, dance video. <laughs> like I was like, that's not going to be great for kids. Right. But at the same time, our lab is located in a high school technical institute. Mm. So kids from all around the district come in, they do physics labs, robotics labs, they have a cadaver lab. Mm. So I know that it's going to be okay. I just wanted to do it appropriately. And so that's why we contacted TikTok we, and did it through that. But they ended up shifting it down or at least throttling it a bit. Um, but they never boosted it to my understanding. They never did anything like that. It was yeah. pure organic reach. But yeah. you have to understand there's no end. There's no one was doing anything no competition like there's yeah, yeah. zero competition at yeah. this time and so then as soon as that hit that's when we're like okay let's move to instagram let's move to youtube yeah. and we just started that process so youtube was something we just naturally shifted into yeah um because we felt like we needed to um but i mean youtube and tiktok and instagram those are completely different realms and sure. we've yeah. had we had to learn it all and youtube now is like close to 7 million subscribers 6.9 right? today 6 .9 sometimes yeah. i think it's like 6.9 uh four something like that so we're it's about to be seven yeah, million we'll cross seven million in the next few days probably yeah so i mean it's 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 been a journey to figure out because you have to figure out short form and long form which i mean i'm sure you understand are completely different things Wildly different, like yeah. i mean like they have a lot of similarities but for us you know it's just going viral overnight and i think that's part of the that's one of the hard things is when there wasn't a grind mm. all of a sudden you just find yourself like i got to pull myself up by my bootstraps yeah, yeah, you're yeah. having to you're constantly Behind. You have to increase expertise faster or else Much people will like leave the funnel. You know? That first year wasn't that first year was intense because that also we transitioned right into COVID. And when we hit COVID, we were one of the only medical educators on TikTok and TikTok asked mm. us to help. So I was now producing two TikToks per day as part of a campaign. This is when TikTok did help us. Mm. And they were pushing our videos out to people to educate because everyone was at home. Yeah, yeah. So I'm making two TikToks a day. I'm also the editor for all mine and Jonathan's videos for YouTube. Yeah. I've never edited before. So I'm having to learn how to edit. So my whole, I'm, I'm making, I made 600 TikToks short forms in just a couple months wow. for TikTok while also learning how to do Premiere Pro, how to do audition, how to do all this kind of equipment, yeah. how to film also while researching my own videos, the deep science of it hmm. all I'm working 12 hours a day for that first year, it was just absolute madness to learn how to be a creator. Cause again, there was no grind. It yeah, was just like, yeah. I have to know this now <laughs> I need, I needed to know this yesterday. Right, right. So it was, it was pretty rough. Well now I, I mean, I have to assume this has got to be a major line item on your P and L now your YouTube mm -hmm. revenue. It's just, it's, I mean, your videos get crazy views. It's true. But I also will say, um, <laughs> who would have ever thought that human body donors are not the most attractive for things for ad, for advertisers. So uh, yeah. CPMs and RPMs for our channel are far lower than they would be for anyone else. Uh. So um, it, I don't want to sit there and say like, it's not the, we, we're able to keep the doors open. Yeah, we're yeah. able to do those things, but any comparative channel, like I, like I remember I was talking with a bunch of creators at VidCon. Yeah, I was yeah. at VidCon this last year yeah. and 
when we're I was I was almost just I got so depressed <laughs> when I'm talking with like how upset. how much yeah. smaller they were and right. I mean this respectfully but how much more they were making I was yeah. just like this is that's <laughs> yeah, not cool that's but brutal. at the yeah. end of the day you know I mean and I know this sounds kind of almost like trite but I mean we're not doing it for the money yes we like the money of you course. want that to be there but at the end of the day it's like we are educators first yeah so it's like it's never been like so <laughs> bothersome. But yeah. at the same time, it's it is frustrating. Well, but also, it's got to bring other business to the institute. Oh, absolutely! Right? Like absolutely. I mean, the business development piece of it has to be insane. Well, I mean, like when we started popping off, everyone from around the world started contacting us, hmm. and I mean that. Like, I mean, I I had a conversation with someone who was a direct representative of the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, <laughs> who was trying to get our content baked into the China to China's like entire schooling program. We didn't have any online courses wow. to give them, so it was kind of like we'll <laughs> we'll touch base later. Yeah, right. But I mean like when the CCP is rich, reaching out to you, I mean like it's literally everywhere. Yeah. Um that's the thing it's it's the opportunities that come. Yeah. I mean I I don't think anyone's really surprised by the amount of opportunities that come with just how in how interested everyone is it is an opportunity magnet that's mm -hmm. for sure especially yeah. when it does that well yeah well listen dude is there anything kind of closing here um any like biggest takeaways that you've had on human existence human life like the like when you get that zoomed in mm -hmm. has it helped you kind of zoom out get a broader perspective on life on happiness on fulfillment on any of those things uh, sometimes i find Sometimes I find like the the more you get into like the weeds on stuff like that is it it gives you a fresh perspective on how we like why we're here and how we're here and stuff. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, I I often tell people that um, you can't help when you're working with the dead, you can't help but reflect on life, hmm. and that's in all aspects. So I am constantly confronted with my own mortality. I'm very understanding that this can all go away at any time. And that is on the forefront of my mind. But I, it's not in this depressing way. It's not as though like I have some existential fear that I'm just like an asteroid's going to hit us or I'm going to die at any moment. It's just more so I have found myself since working with body donors living far more in the moment, mm -hmm. which is, you know, the thing that every single guru will tell you to do. And I, but I'm, it's not that I, you know, have done the meditative work really to pull that off. It's more so just that, and you see this with anyone who works with the dead. You see this with first responders. You see this with military members. It's just when you are constantly or more so than you should be yeah, yeah. exposed to these types of things, you can't help it. And for me, it's helped, helped me make better li uh, decisions in life. Hmm. Um, it's helped me just kind of stay more grounded with things. Um, I just, I feel like, I don't know, it's been beneficial to my soul, mm. you know, if, if anything, it's just, it's, you can't help it. You can't help, but just always be thinking, you know, like, this is amazing. It's great to work with these. This could end at any moment. I'm just grateful to be here. It's yeah. been my main, my big takeaway. Well, dude, Justin, thanks so much for coming out, man. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you guys are watching this, checking this out, obviously go check out what uh, Institute of Human Anatomy is doing over on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, everything else. Uh, you can see a bunch of very, very interesting content uh, with cadavers, dead bodies, and see see what human anatomy is all about. Um, there was a fascinating one I was watching just before I did this on 
on um <clears throat> like what the abdom what your what your abdominals look like and stuff like that. I was just like the the obliques and that there's like different they go different directions and stuff. I was just like it's it's mind blowing. But like what you were saying at the beginning of this, the more you understand about that stuff, mm-hmm. it you can't help but affect it when you're at the gym or when you're, you know, trying to stay hydrated or whatever. You you, yep. you get a little bit more motivated, you know what I mean, to to do the right thing when you see how it actually physically affects your body. So absolutely highly recommend checking out the stuff that they're working on over there. Justin, thanks a lot for coming on, man. That's a lot of fun. Happy to be here. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischapel.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com slash team. And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet. Then leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.